grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Sunday of of the end times is found recorded in the book of Daniel chapter 12 beginning at the first verse. Then at this time Michael the great prince who stands over your people will arise. There will be a time of distress that has not happened from the first time that there was a nation until that time. At that time your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book Many who are sleeping in the dusty ground will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame, to everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who bring many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 beginning at the 11th verse. In the one case, every priest stood ministering day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which are never able to remove sin. In the other case, this priest, after he offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Since then, he has been waiting until his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. By only one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being sacrificed. The Holy Spirit also testifies in Scripture to us. For first, he said, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, And I will not remember their sins and their lawlessness any longer. Now where these sins are forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning at the 25th verse. Jesus said, Amen, amen, I tell you, a time is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who listen will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, but those who have practiced evil will rise to be condemned. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is in the gospel of John chapter 5 verses 25 through 29. Jesus said, and I'm going to read these words again. Amen, 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 I tell you, a time is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. 
For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, but those who have practiced evil will rise to be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we really all have our own unique little quirks, don't we? And especially those quirks are what really make us unique and different from everyone else. Well, of course, looks do, but even those little quirks that we have. And as long as those quirks aren't hurting ourselves or hurting someone else, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with them. Like when I was younger, one of my quirks was that when it came to walking down the sidewalk, I would never step on a crack. I would even take a double step to make sure that I would always step over the crack. Because the honest truth is, I loved my mother. <laughs> and I did not want to break my mother's back. Another goofy little quirk I had, and this one actually scared me, even more than stepping on a crack. And that was this idea of, in order to tell the truth, you would say to someone, cross my heart and hope to die, and shove a pitchfork in my heart. I grew up on the farm, and I'm not sure if that's the same, but that's how I learned it. And having a pitchfork is not something I want in my eye, and nor do I want to actually ask God to end my life. It, it is interesting when you have the words of Jesus say, let your yes be yes, and your no, no, reminding us, tell the truth. And even though I am a sinful human being who has not always mastered, for sure has not mastered, always telling the truth, not that I want to run around and tell lies, but the honest truth is we have one who never has lied. He was perfect and holy, one we can honestly look up to and trust in, and that it is our Savior who not only tells the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, the word that he often used for truth is the word that we're actually quite familiar with, and it is actually an old Hebrew word, an Old Testament word. It is the word amen. And when Jesus would would preach, especially to the religious leaders who were always looking for ways to discredit him and, and to embarrass him in his teachings uh, in front of the eyes of the people and the crowds that were following him, he would always come with the word, Amen. And he especially did it, in fact, quite a number of times, in fact, he used the word Amen is when he was in Jerusalem for a festival and there was a man who was sick and not able to walk, and Jesus told the man to get up, take his mat, and walk. The man got up immediately and walked. And when the religious leaders saw that he was walking with his mat, they disciplined him and scolded him because this was the day of the Sabbath, this was the day of worship, and the law, the worship law was, 
you could not walk around with your mat. Well, these were laws that were created over time. This was not a law of God. These were laws that you were supposed to follow in addition to God's laws. And so the man was disciplined. And then they came after Jesus. Because he healed on the Sabbath. And that kind of work is not to be done on the Sabbath. Jesus, in fact, healed on the Sabbath more than once. This I made the religious leaders so irate that they actually decided to plot and plan his destruction. They wanted him dead. And not just because he healed on the Sabbath, but because in his teachings he continually made mention how he and the Father are one, alluding to the fact that he is the Son of God. In fact, our very text that is before us will teach us something about Jesus being the Son of God as well as being the Son of Man. And he does it by saying, Amen, Amen. Remember the word truth. Now, Jesus does not have a stutter problem. He does not have a speech impediment that we're aware of. But he says, Amen, Amen, for a very good reason, because... He's using an old Hebrew word, but also an old Hebrew phrase. You see, in the, in the English language, when we want to say that something is like, for instance, most holy, we would add the three letters EST, and we would say it, it's the holiest. In Hebrew, they don't have such an ending. So what they actually do is, when it comes to a superlative, they'll actually just double the word. And that's why in the temple, two-thirds of the temple was called the holy place, but the one-third where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, that was called the Holy of Holies. Literally, in Hebrew, it was called Holy Holy. In other words, most holy. So when Jesus says, Amen, Amen, I tell you, he is telling you that what you are about to hear is the most truth. This is the absolute truth. Anything contrary to the absolute truth is a lie. Nothing is greater than the absolute truth. And what is this absolute truth? A time is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who listen will live. These words sound rather strange. He has a time coming, but also it's here. So which one is it? Really both. When we keep in mind that a time is coming was a phrase that was oftentimes used to speak of not only the first coming of Christ, but oftentimes pointed to the second coming of Christ. The prophets of old used this phrase constantly. The day is coming. The time is coming. And so, on the last day, those who are dead will hear the voice of the Lord. The very word that created everything in six 24-hour days, that very word, and the power with that very word will raise all the dead and unite bodies and souls together. And those who hear his voice will live. Then in what sense is, is the dead hearing his voice now? 
Well, you could take these words in both the physical and spiritual sense. Physically speaking, he is pointing to the fact that he had raised people from the dead. We don't know exactly how many, but we are aware of three for sure. And no doubt there was probably more. There was Jairus' daughter, remember, 12 years old. He was a synagogue ruler. There was the widow's son of Nain. And then there was, of course, Lazarus himself, where Jesus wept. But in a spiritual sense, hearing his voice and, and the dead rise reminds us that because of our sins, we are by nature dead in God's eyes. We are dead to sin and because of sin. And being dead means that we're not alive. But the voice of the Lord makes us alive. That very gospel, that very word of God, that's what makes us alive. That calls us to faith in Christ Jesus, holding on to that object which all saving faith must hang on to. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ who paid for our sins in full and conquered death by his own resurrection with the promise that we too shall live. And so by the voice of the Lord, we have gone from death to life, all because of our Savior. So it is our Savior that gives life because it is our Savior who has life. He conquered death. And now Jesus goes and says something very profound. He says, for just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father has life. But keep in mind that the Father wasn't given life. He has life. There's a complete difference between those two sayings. Because if he's one that's been given life, well then who is greater than our God himself? No, God has life. He is the greatest. There is no one greater than him. And therefore, wouldn't you say that the Son of God, because he is God, also has life? But then we're told the Father has given the Son to have life in himself. Because he is also the Son of Man. As a son of God, he would have life. But as a son of man, he was granted life. For our very God, leaving the thrones of heaven, would take on human flesh, conceived and born in the womb of Mary. He would become a human being, tempted in every way, and yet did not sin. He would be fully human with body and soul, and yet fully God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Don't think of him as Hercules, as half God, half man. No, he's fully God and fully man in one person. And this is so important because in order for our sins to be paid, our God would have to die, but God cannot die. But he took on human flesh so that he could give it his life as that sacrifice for sins once and for all. He would, did not come to be a priest who would have to offer sacrifices again and again. His sacrifice paid for it all, done. It is finished, were his closing words on the cross. And because he is the Son of God, his sacrifice, his payment, the forgiveness he won for us, 
would come for all people for all times. And now his invitation is to believe it and through faith in him, you have the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus is the perfect savior. Never ever think of him as one savior among many. And therefore you can pick one or the other and, and, and be passionate over one over the other. No, he's the only one, because he's the only one who could be our savior, since he's the only one who is the son of God and the son of man. And not only is he the perfect savior, but we're told here, he also granted him to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Our savior is our judge. And this is very comforting to hear. We know that the last day is going to be a day of judgment, the last day on this world. And this world will be destroyed by fire. And on that judgment day, he will judge the believers and the unbelievers. But wouldn't it be tempting to think that, well, what kind of judge is he really going to be? Is he going to be one who's going to be really just? Is he going to be liberal? Is he going to be conservative? Oh, who really put him on the stand? Was it a Democrat? Was it a libertarian? Was it a Republican? All these things come up when people are wondering what kind of justice they're going to receive when they look at the, the judge who's going to have to sit before them and make decisions. But we don't have to live with that kind of fear. We don't even have to do any wondering. The judge is our savior. The one who gave his life for us is the one who's going to judge us on the last day. You couldn't have a better judge. I pray that our hearts leap with joy to know that the judge that we face is the very Savior we'll see with our own eyes. And as Job put it, how my heart yearns within me. Notice how he will judge. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. All will hear his voice. We won't raise to be zombies and vampires. There is no such thing. And those who have been even cremated, will rise too, body and soul, and made immortal, and prepared for eternity. All, all will hear his voice and will come out. But those who have done good will rise to live, but those who have practiced evil will rise to be condemned. These words are rather confusing in the sense that we've always taught that you're saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. So why is he saying that those who have done good will rise to live? And besides, since we know from the Holy Scriptures, especially from St. Paul, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then none of us can claim to be good because all we are all by nature sinful. Oh, we may think we have free will and, and we'll try to be as good as good as we can. But remember, if you sin just once, you're guilty of breaking all of God's commands. 
So there is no one good. And such a same statement would make one think that there's no one going to be saved. So what does he mean by being good? Well, let scripture interpret scripture. And then the verse right before our section we're considering, Jesus made another absolute statement. He said this, Amen, amen, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He is not going to come into judgment. He has crossed over from death to life. Those who have done good are those who have believed in him, and out of thankful love, they live for him. Their goodness is not what pays for heaven. It doesn't get them to heaven. It doesn't earn God's credit. It is faith in the goodness and the greatness of our Savior who won for us heaven. And it is always out of thankful love that we live for him, obeying his holy commands. Those are the ones who are good and will rise to live. And those who practice evil are clearly those who have rejected the Lord in unbelief. And it shows it in their life of living for themselves and their own sinful, selfish self. Because they have rejected the Lord, how horrifying it will be on the last day when they have to see with their own eyes the very Lord they, they have rejected in this life and will face a judge who is just, who will condemn. My dear friends, even though he does not come out and say it here, the application is quite obvious. Listen to the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is, is, is not just looking at the heavens and, and nature. Oh, yes, we can learn things about God just looking at nature clearly. You know, there is a supreme God who's created all of this. We realize how intelligent and, and how powerful he must be. But nature cannot tell us two things that we badly need to know. Who the true God is and how are we saved by him. And the voice is not that inner voice, the conscience. Yes, God has placed in us, we call it natural knowledge, this basic knowledge of knowing that there is a God. But even our conscience cannot tell us the two most important questions that we need badly to know who our God is and how we are saved by him. This is why we need the written word. This is the voice of our God, the Son of God and the Son of Man. These are the words of God that he spoke to us, and we have the answers that we desperately need. He is the triune God, one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any other God is a fake and a fraud. This is the one who gave his life for us, the very one who created us, knitting us together in our mother's womb, is the very one who offered himself paying for our sins, a payment that we could not pay and live. This is our Savior, our God. And this is why you can only be saved by the voice of the Lord, that written word, the Bible. Know it well. Take it to heart. And know that the very holy word of God teaches one important truth. And that truth is, here comes the judge. But the judge is our Savior.
And that is, Amen. 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 The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.